So, Harry. Yeah? Have you ever had a run-in with a celebrity? Uh, not really, but I have tried. You tried to run into a celebrity? Yeah. Who did you try to run over? Uh, no, no, I didn't try and knock someone over in my car. <laughs> um, no, once at a Kendall Calling Festival, uh-huh. um, after the headline act, the Kaiser Chiefs played. Okay. Um, supported by Snoop Dogg. It was a great evening. That's an interesting lineup, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Snoop Dogg was the support act to Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> yeah. That is white privilege right there. Carry on. <laughs> Um, I thought it'd be worth sneaking backstage to uh, try and meet somebody. Sure, yeah. It's a pretty good lineup of people around. And yeah, I didn't actually bump into anybody of note because okay. um, instead I got caught by this no-name folk duo who played in the middle of the day. Oh, no. Um, who were really excited to have a fan. Oh, and no. I just couldn't bring myself to leave and tell them that I was actually there to just find somebody famous, implying that they're not famous. Oh, no. Because they were like, this is Kendall Calling. This is our big break. <laughs> <laughs> It was very awkward. Oh, those poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> and that duo was... <laughs> I actually can't think of any country duos. No, no. There you go. Not many famous country duos. Exactly. Welcome back, everybody, to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where today we are pitching prequels, sequels, and spin-off ideas to Sunset Boulevard. We'll also be pitching some drinking games and hearing other sequel pitches from our Twitter followers. But first, we're going to talk about some of our favourite moments from the original movie and catch you up with a bit of a plot summary. I'm Harry, the host with the most fancy house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a house, so you win that by default. Yay! So. And it's actually, it's technically not your house. <laughs> and joining me as always, the host with the most crazy eyes, Sean Lucas. I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So, John, what do you think of this then? Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. So I chose this and I chose this uh, for two specific reasons. Yeah. One, because, you know, after last week, I thought I might want to class up the joint after last week's piece of shit. (laughs) So, you know, I thought I'd do some classic cinema. (laughs) But also in over 250 episodes, we have never done a classic black and white old school Hollywood movie. And the reason for that is that back on your previous podcast, was it? Beer Pizza in a Movie, or was it Two Geeks, Two Movies? I think it was Beer Pizza in a Movie. Yeah, you, you on one of your podcasts with Ross, mm-hmm. you did Citizen Kane. Yeah. One of the all-time, you know, most famous yeah. black, black and white films. And you hated it. You yeah. It was really boring. Yeah. And so I think that gave you a quite negative impression of kind of classic Hollywood movies. Is that fair? Well, I've actually got a quite deep and intellectual way of putting it. Okay. Old films are shit. Old films are shit, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, did this film change your mind at all? Uh, yeah, really? No, I, I don't feel meh about the film, but like, did it did it change that opinion? I'm not too sure. It wasn't like a, whoa, that really changes my opinion of uh, of everything that I've thought before. It's like, okay, this is this is something. It's it's clawing back some possible respect for yeah. older films. Yeah, so. I, I, like, I think that in hindsight, actually, I did actually like this movie. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, it just doesn't quite undo the damage that Citizen Kane did to me. Well, Citizen Kane was that bad. Yeah. I mean, Citizen Kane is pretty boring. Yeah. But this film's pretty fabulous. So it has yeah. its moments. Yeah. It's slow. It, I, it like it, it takes it takes it it's sweet time to uh, to get anywhere. Oh, I disagree. I think one of the best things about this film is that I think it is wonderfully paced. Mm-hmm. I really think the pacing in this film is fantastic. There's some tiny slow bits, a little bit when uh, the love interest, who's not Norma Shearer, Norma, De- <laughs> Norma Desmond, uh, Betty, 
Yeah. Some of the Bessie stuff's a little bit tedious. Yeah. Well, she's, she's not in it that much. Like, it's, it's mm. like only a few minutes and then you're back to some good stuff. And yeah. there's so many iconic scenes in this movie and so many iconic lines and they just, <laughs> they're really well stretched out. It's not like all the good stuff at the beginning mm-hmm. or all the good stuff at the end. There's like iconic scenes peppered throughout this movie and it really, for me anyway, it kept me really interested. Yeah. I find this very watchable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that I, uh, I thought of about half an hour ago I only remembered about half an hour ago. I hadn't thought about it since watching this. What was the deal with that monkey? <laughs> <laughs> it's she's a crazy celebrity. She had a pet monkey, you know. But it never comes up. No, it doesn't need Well, there's actually a funny story about the monkey. I like to Okay, so I like to think that the monkey is just a an example of like, you know, she's a crazy Hollywood person. Of course she has a pet monkey. Mm-hmm. Obviously this film is before Michael Jackson, but you know, Michael Jackson, crazy celebrity, had a pet monkey. You oh, know? Yeah. Yeah. Just rich people having stupid, silly pets. It's it's clearly a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. That being said, the director, Billy Wilder, one of the greats, mm-hmm. uh, when he was directing the film, apparently he kept telling Gloria Swanson, who played mm-hmm. Norma Desmond, uh, when she was doing the monkey scene, he was like, remember your character was fucking this monkey. <laughs> so his intention was that she was sleeping with the monkey. Right. I think that's too far. I, I think that ruins the film. I think that takes it too far. Yeah, yeah. I, I think bestiality takes it one too far, but I wouldn't put it past her, the, the monkey being her third husband. Yeah. I prefer to just think of it. I don't like that. Like, like it, it, it's a pet that she's like really, really close to, yeah. so much so that she's married it. Sure, yeah. But like, it's not it's not sexual. Yeah, no, I, I really don't like that. As, as, as a fan of this movie, I don't like that theory at all. So no. I, I choose to ignore that. I just think she's a crazy celebrity. Mm-hmm. And of course she had a pet monkey because that's what crazy celebrities did. Yeah. And you know, yeah. What do, what do you think about her being married to the monkey? Don't like it. No, no. Because no, I, 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 I think that's too cruel to her as yeah. a character. I think she's she's crazy, but she's not crazy. You know, like she's, <laughs> she's, she's pretty nuts. But I think marrying a monkey is like, it's comedically nuts rather okay. than just, and it, it, it parts of this movie, she is comedically nuts, mm. but no, that takes it too far for me. I, I, I like it better that she's just a crazy celebrity who's like mm. delusional. I don't want to go into this idea of her sleeping with or marrying a monkey. So <laughs> yeah, it's a no from me. Sure. sure. But I love that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because at, at that point, the film's still kind of setting the scene and trying mm-hmm. to work out what this is. And, yeah. 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 You know, how, how wild it's going to be. And like, Okay. This is, I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a monkey in there. Just, okay. Yeah, monkey in a coffin. Yeah. yeah. There was something else going on below. The last rites for that hairy old chimp. Performed with the utmost seriousness. As if she were laying to rest an only child. Was her life really as empty as that? Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, on the whole, you enjoyed the film, yeah? Yeah. Shall we head into a bit of a plot summary then? Yes. Cool. So Sunset Boulevard, released in 1950. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars William Holden and and Gloria Swan. I always make this thing. I always mix up who the character and the actress is, yeah. which is kind of what happened to her in real life. So I'm always like, which one's Norma Desmond and which one's Gloria Swanson? And that is exactly what happened in real life. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, because I was, I was looking on her IMDb and like before this, she, she'd not done anything for about 15, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any, anything... Well, only only one or two things, but then before that, she was doing like four or five films a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess this is quite. Oh, it's, so it's huge! It's quite, it's quite quite similar to her actual career. It's one of the most meta films ever released. There's so many right. ways in this film. This film is so interestingly meta. Yeah, one of which is yes. So Gloria Swanson, the actress, was a, a big star in silent movies, mm-hmm. and then what happened to a lot of actresses in when silence movies became talkies? Mm-hmm. A lot of the actors and actresses who were huge silent movie stars couldn't actually act very well with their voices. Like they did great facial acting, but maybe their voices sounded weird. They had yeah. weird accents. 
or they just couldn't read lines convincingly in the same way. Yeah. So a lot of their I guess careers... it's like the opposite way around that we uh, have now, where if you, like, you get really into a podcast, yeah, like you just you, you just get to know people's voices, mm. and then suddenly that podcast does really well, and they go to a video podcast, like, oh, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't like this. That's why we stay firmly behind the microphone, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> Let's keep that full horror just for us. <laughs> but yeah, she was a huge, huge star of the silent movie era. Uh, and then, like many of her colleagues, when talkies came in, mm. her career kind of fizzled. Although yeah. actually, it turned out she was a very good actress in, in spoken word, because in this, mm. she was amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like a lot of silent movie stars, they struggled to really transition to talkies. And yeah, and she went away for a while, uh, faded into kind of a bit of obscurity, and then she was brought back to do this after mm-hmm. many other silent former silent movie stars turned it down because they found it offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, she took the role and uh, yeah, it, it was iconic, but she kind of only made three films after this and none of them were particularly memorable because really? everyone just thought that was who she was. You know, mm. Hollywood sexism right there. She, they thought this character of this crazy old diva, this grand dam, mm. and she can't just play that in everything. So mm. she didn't really get offered anything else and her film career didn't really... I mean, she, she got nominated for an Oscar. She very controversially didn't win it, but um, yeah, she... Yeah, I mean, her film I, I, I'd recorded. ask who she lost to, but I, I won't know. You won't know the answer. No, <laughs> it was a very good year. There's another famous film called All About Eve that maybe I'll try you on. Mm-hmm. Uh, also didn't win. Basically, two older, two older actresses gave great, great performances, and then a young, nubile thing took the award. Basically, well, Jennifer Lawrence or someone. The Jennifer Lawrence of yeah. the 90s. A lady called Judy Holiday. Yeah, I would say probably the Jennifer Lawrence of her her day. Let's yeah. say possibly. I don't know her that well, but um, yeah. But I mean, most people would say that I think this should have won the Oscar because it's literally one of the probably top five most iconic film characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just the quotes alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. But yeah, it's it's very meta in that way. Like, it did reflect her career completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. Because I keep mixing up Norma Desmond, which mm-hmm. is the character, and Gloria Swanson, who is the actress. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it stars... Gloria Swanson. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. And William Holden. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually kind of more his film, though. Yeah, it is. Well, because it's so it's told from his point of view. Like he's the he's the narrator, mm-hmm. even after he dies. Yes. Uh, well, he which, dies. Like he's like, dead in the first scene. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't I don't really like that sort of thing. But mm. also, where it just shows you the end and at the, at the start, so mm. you see that the journey how to get there. You know how it's going to end, and that adds a bit of tension to it. Yeah. But I've seen that a fair few times already in in so many other things. Mm. Um, was this like one of the early? versions of that or was it the first version yeah of that? i don't know if i don't know if it's the first film that ever did a voiceover probably not no 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 um showed the end of the movie at the start yeah no that's what i mean i don't know it's probably not the first film that ever did that either but it's definitely you know one of mm. and probably the best example of it or one of the best examples of it from that time but you're right yeah because now that's such a corny thing to do like mm. this film has a lot of things that are now such cliches I think there's a line at the end, like, so we're back to where we started. You know, it's yeah, like the yeah. narration comes all the way back around <laughs> and you're like, now that's so, yeah, it's so corny. It's so mm. overdone. But this film kind of, you know, pioneered it. Mm. And there, there was a weird bit actually, because when when it starts off, it shows him in the swimming pool and mm-hmm. he's dead and, it, yeah. and then he's narrating, explaining like it's shot twice in the back, once in the front and stuff like that. Mm. But he's saying like, so there was a man in a swimming pool yeah. and he was shot twice in the back and once in the front. I was like, okay, so it's not the narrator. Mm-hmm. But then immediately when it cuts into like the rest of the film, he starts referring to himself in the first person. Like I did this, I did yeah, that, yeah. but it's the same narrator and it's clearly the same guy. So, cause initially I was like, right. So who's that? Who's that going to be the dead guy? Like, yeah. Oh no, it is this that guy. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I, I, that's, that's, that's a weird little 
twist. I don't think it's, a word, it's supposed so. to be that much of a surprise that he is the the dead guy in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Although before we move on, how impressive is that shot? Yeah. I've no, floating I, I, upside yeah. down the pool. Yeah. I was thinking that. I was wondering how, how they did that. They So they did it with mirrors. Right. He wasn't actually, obviously the actor yeah. was not, they, because the cameras in 1950, there were no waterproof film cameras. Mm. They couldn't just get in and shoot him. Mm-hmm. So they had to, yeah, he's just, it's like a mirror effect basically. Yeah. Very cleverly done though. Like, yeah. That's, it, looked, it looked fantastic. It does. That's one of the things I really love about old films is that everything's real. There's no CGI. There's no mm. special tricks. Well, there are some tricks, but you know, they had to just make it happen with yeah. practical stuff. And that's r- really magical to me. Mm. And this film has such an amazing sense of like place. Mm-hmm. Like the mansion that she lives in is its own character in this film, I think. Yeah. And I love all the shadowy. Yeah, I, just, I think it's got a really good atmosphere. Mm. And that the narration, which I agree with, I'm not the biggest fan of narration in a lot of films. I think it's quite lazy. But in this, I think it really suits that kind of like, gritty kind of film noir, that really like yeah, stylish, smoky, you know, mm. vibe. I think it really, really works well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So yeah, the film, as I say, it's kind of his story. So we open with him narrating. We mm-hmm. see the very impressive shot of William Holden floating dead in the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I bet you're going to wonder how, how he ended up here. Let's go back a bit. Uh, <laughs> and then, so we, we <laughs> it kind of is like that. You know, it really is a lot of the cliches in that way. Yeah. And it turns out that he, we, we flash back to before he died and he is a struggling screenwriter. Mm-hmm. He's written a few kind of B movie kind of films, but he's kind of hit a rough patch where he hasn't sold a script in a while mm-hmm. and he's running short of money and he needs to make $300 quick or some very kind of generic uh bailiffs are going to repossess his car yeah because they're really like where's your car see you better have it back my thursday see it's it's very that i loved it like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on the on the lamb basically from these bailiffs who want to take his car back and mm-hmm. he's trying everything he can to raise money quickly trying to sell any old piece of crap he can mm-hmm. so he goes to an old studio head who, who kind of likes him and tries to sell this one script and he's kind of talking it up about this story he's got and who could maybe be in it mm-hmm. and then the studio head's kind of like, yeah, I can see that happening. And then he calls in his, uh, his script supervisor mm. and asks her about the script. And her and she, not knowing that the writer is in the room, says, oh, don't bother. That's a load of crap. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> yeah. it's just not very good. It's cliched. Try it. It's terrible. Tell us all this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like this. I like that she's so rude to him. And mm. he's and then even when she realizes it's him, she's like, well, I'm sorry. I just didn't think your script was very good. Like, yeah, I like that she's not awkward about it at all. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she's embarrassed. She says, I, I wish the ground would swallow me up. But she's, she doesn't back down. She's mm. kind of like, yeah, well, you know what? That's on you. You didn't write a good script. You're trying mm-hmm. to sell us a piece of crap here. Yeah. And I think the film kind of agrees with her. Like, mm-hmm. we're not supposed to believe that he's like this great writer. He is just trying to, he's mm-hmm. quite cynical and he's just trying to sell, he's trying to make a quick book. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mr. Sheldrake. Hello. On that basis loaded, I covered it with a two-page synopsis. Thank you. But I wouldn't bother. What's wrong with it? It's from hunger. Nothing for lad? Well, it was just a rehash of something that wasn't very good to begin with. I'm sure you'll be glad to meet Mr. Gillis. He wrote it. This is Miss Kramer. The name is Schaefer, Betty Schaefer. Right now, I wish I could crawl in a hole and pull it in after me. If I could be of any help. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gillis, but I just didn't think it was any good. I found it flat and trite. Exactly what kind of material do you recommend? James Joyce, Dostoevsky? I just think that picture should say a little something. Oh, one of the message kids. Just a story won't do. You'd have turned down Gone with the Wind. No, that was me. I said, who wants to see a Civil War picture? So he fails to sell his screenplay. He's quite offended. And he's driving down this highway in his car. And the bailiffs 
he runs into the bailiffs. They spot him and they start chasing him. And so to get away, he pulls into this dilapidated old Hollywood mansion that he thinks has been abandoned. Yeah. Hides his car in the shed, in the garage. And then, but as he's doing that, he gets called into the house by the mysterious lady who, mm-hmm. who resides in the house. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this is Norma Desmond. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know who she is at this point, obviously. No. Uh, she's, it's, it's this giant, like it's this giant, you know, gothic kind of mansion. And it's just her and her very sinister butler, Max. He's <laughs> just fantastic in this. Yeah, he is. He's kind of summoned upstairs. And he doesn't know why, but he just kind of goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets up there. And this is when we get to uh, the monkey scene. Because mm-hmm. she's got a coffin. It looks like it's a child's coffin at first. Um, well, if she's not got a coffin. Oh, but she's got clearly that, a body that, laid out. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, and they're it's expect- not adult they're, size. They're yeah. expecting somebody to come with a coffin. Yes, that's it. They're waiting for the coffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's got this body laid out mm-hmm. on a table or whatever. Uh, and then we very quickly realize that it is it is her beloved monkey. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and she wants to bury it in the garden. And she's asking for like advice on what kind of linings for the coffin might be good or whatever. And then eventually mm-hmm. he has to come clean and say, look, you've got the wrong man. I just pulled in here to, mm. to, to, to kind of, someone. To, yeah, to hide, to hide yeah. my car, basically. Uh, and she kind of kicks him out. But she, when she kicks him out, she takes her big, she's got these big shades on. Mm. And she finally takes them off and she gets very angry. She tells him to yeah. leave. And then he recognizes her and he says, uh, you're Norma Desmond. You used to be in pictures. You used to be big. Yeah. And then it's the first <laughs> of many, like, I think in the, like the AFI's top 100 most famous film quotes of all time, I think mm-hmm. this movie has like five. Mm. And this is definitely the first one. She goes, I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So yep. camp. Yeah. yeah. I recognize that one when she, when she said it. I was like, ah, oh, I did. That's know a that famous one. Yet. That's a famous one. Yeah. Wait a minute. Haven't I seen you before? I know your face. Get out, or shall I call my servant? You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. So then she does this whole rant then about how the film industry has changed, and it used to, you know, they had the eyes of the world, but they wanted the ears too. And then along came talk, 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 like. She's so theatrical. I love it. Like, yeah, yeah. So she does this whole crazy rant about how the film industry is not the way it used to be. You know, all the old stars, the Valentinos, the Barrymores, and now there's just nobodies. And um, and he's like, I'm gonna wake up the monkey. I like the. I really like the acting contrast between these two because yeah. he's very like dry and cynical and like really, quite natural. Yeah, yeah. And she's just everything is just like up here. It's mm-hmm. like really big and dramatic, and that makes total sense for her character because she's mm-hmm. just this. She's always performing, even when she's not, you know, she's one of those people who doesn't have human conversations. Everything's just like a performance, you know? Yeah, yeah. So she does these huge, big thing, and he's just like, shh, you wake up the monkey. And she's like, get out, get out! <laughs> this big dramatic flourish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he mentions that he's a writer, and then he le- he turns to leave, and then she mm-hmm. comes flying down the stairs, and she says, wait, you come back. And she, I'm going to be doing a lot of impersonations. I can't help it. It's too, it's too iconic. It's too iconic. <laughs> She asks him to stay because she wants him to take a look at a script that she's been working on. Because mm-hmm. she, it turns out, she was this giant movie star and she hasn't worked in like 20 years because, as she says, uh, silent movies got replaced by talkies. And yeah, she doesn't. She won't admit that she's you know, fallen away from fame, but mm. she doesn't like the way the industry's changed. But she hasn't worked in 20 years, whatever. But she's been working on this script that's like her big... Well, he says, is this, is this for your big comeback? She goes, no, I hate that word. It's a return. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't like comeback. It's a return. The fans have been demanding it. She gets letters every day, thousands of letters from fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asks him to read the script and he reads it and he instantly realizes it is absolute garbage. 
And not only is it garbage, it's completely age inappropriate for her because she's mm-hmm. like 50 and it's about this young princess. So I was trying to work out how old she actually was because, you know, I'm looking at it through the, the well, I guess physically through the lens of like a 1950s camera. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's got a kind of old style makeup on. Mm. And I'm really trying to work out like how old, like she's supposed to be 50s or something. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell. She could be 30s. She mm. could be, she could be 60. I don't know. And like she's 51. Yeah, in the, in the film. Yeah, well, that's the um, that's the thing. This film acts like she's this ancient crone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because I was also just remembering, like, yeah, what counted as ancient back back in the nineteen fifties? Mm. It was like thirty five, classes old. Yeah. Well, this is the other thing. I this is one of my slight critiques of the film. I don't know if it's even a criticism, really, but it's more of an observation. I think the age gap doesn't read mm. because the whole film, a lot of it, the tension is about, oh my god, he's sold himself to you know he's in this sexual relationship with this much older woman yeah you know, like, yeah how could he sell himself pimp himself out like that to this old hag you know mm-hmm. and actually like she looks fantastic mm-hmm. like she's in great shape she looks good mm-hmm. and he looks he doesn't look that much younger than her you know no, I, I, I think william holden probably was about 35 ish or something but like and I, in some ways i think it works for him that his character is a bit more like maybe is in that point in his life when he's like in his thirties and he's kind of in that middle space between not quite young and not quite old. And like, mm. cause he's already been like chewed up and spat out by Hollywood and he's cynical and that's yeah. kind of his whole character. He would have been 32. 32. So there you go. Like, yeah, yeah. he does look older, but then I think everyone looks I'd, older. In- yeah. I'd say that he looks older than 32 and I, and she looks younger than 51. So, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, they I, kind I, of meet in this weird, awkward middle space. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those weird age gaps that I didn't, I didn't believe what the film was trying to give me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think maybe if the actor was someone who was more like, boyish looking mm. and you could really get this oh like he's fall into this web of this much older lady yeah but because he just looks yeah they don't they're not an unbelievable couple no. they're, they're a very believable uh, yeah I, I buy it yeah <laughs> i mean you know not in terms of the personalities because she's crazy but you know <laughs> but like stand them next to each other and you're not like oh my god why is he with that hag you know mm-hmm. like, yeah but regardless, <laughs> but regardless, so he reads her script and instantly knows, oh, this is this is terrible. This is not, no one's going to want to buy this. Mm. But he decides, he sees an opportunity to make some much needed money. Mm-hmm. So he kind of manipulates her into hiring him as her script doctor to kind of edit it and rework it for her mm-hmm. so that she can quote unquote sell it to, she wants to, she, her, her big dream is to sell it back to her old director who was a Cecil yeah. B. DeMille. Yeah. Who's a real, was a real director who, again, in another meta moment Cecil B. DeMille is a real director he plays himself in this film mm-hmm. and he was a very famous director I think he did Ben-Hur you know? mm. so he did lots of very famous ones maybe I know there's, a, there's an award named after him but yes okay. yeah the Cecil B. DeMille award is like one of the big Oscars you get is yeah, it so an like Oscar the, I think it's like the Lifetime Achievement or something yeah right? I think it'll be like two people have won it or something yeah it's he's one of the most famous directors of his era but also mm. he directed a bunch of uh in his in his early career he directed a load of really famous uh Gloria Swanson films the actress mm-hmm. right the yeah. real actress so they really did work together and then mm. obviously her career went kaput when mm. talkies came in he went on to other things so it, again that, it's this very meta moment when she wants to sell her script back to Mr. DeMille and Mr. DeMille will make a picture again mm. so William Holden's character uh, Joe he agrees reluctantly reluctantly air uh, quotes yeah. to take the job of editing her script yeah but she also tells him that he should stay with her and like she, she puts him up in this rather than let him drive home mm-hmm. she kind of puts him up in the spare bedroom that she's got in her well initially in like the outhouse there's like a little guest house mm-hmm. but then later as the film gets on she, he's kind of drawn further and further until he's essentially in the same room as her but for now he's in the outhouse yeah and he's 
encouraged to kind of stay the night mm-hmm. and then he wakes up and all of his stuff has been taken from his old flat and yeah. just moved in by this crazy sinister butler yeah which i loved i loved all that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah him and the butler have a really interesting relationship they do it's such a good dynamic yeah because like, the butler is always professional mm-hmm. but there's, there's just something very sinister about it oh for sure yeah but he's also very the, the butler's like doesn't lie to him no. which i really like that we found out later the butler is very much part of this keeping the lie alive from norma mm-hmm. desmond but he's very honest in his own way with joe he's like yeah she doesn't really get any letters that are from me you know he just yeah he admits it he's just like yeah that's what happens you know mm-hmm. he's like don't look at the postmarks hell <laughs> 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 i really i thought that was really yeah you're right it's just such an interesting dynamic that those two characters have mm. <laughs> i love that when he go went so Joe wakes up and he sees, oh my God, all my stuff's here. Mm. And he runs into the main mansion. And I love that Max the Butler's just like sat at this gigantic oh, piano yeah. organ, literally playing that really sinister like, the, 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 yeah, whatever it is. It's so, like, it's so campy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Max, whatever your name is, what are my things doing here? I'm talking to you. My clothes and things are up in the room. Naturally. I brought them myself. Is that so? Why, what's the matter? Is there anything missing? Who said you could? Who asked you to? I did. I don't know why you should be so upset. Stop that playing, Max. It seemed like a good idea if we are to work together. Uh, yeah, so he's quite annoyed that she's basically forcibly moved him in, but, she, but he kind of um, ultimately seems to like let it go, and I guess he was, he, he's got no... He's got nothing better to do. She's paid all his back rent for him and uh, mm-hmm. she's super rich and she doesn't really care about money. Mm. And so he clearly needs money. So he just kind of goes along with it um, more than he's comfortable with. But, you know, and yeah, so he moves in with her and then very quickly, like he starts spending a lot more time with her. There's a great scene where they are, she makes, she makes him watch all of her old movies. She's got like a home cinema mm. and every, every night they'll watch a film together. <laughs> I loved all the reactions that everybody kept having about this. She's got a home cinema. That was the height, the height of rich and swanky at this time. Harry, yeah. come on. <laughs> Nobody even had, a, this is before TV. Yeah. What about smartphones? I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the other thing because like, now, if a celebrity, you know, ages out of being a leading lady and stuff, mm. they would just end up on TV somewhere. But this is before mm. TV. So you could like be a gigantic movie star one day. And then if you just stop making films, there's no way for people to like stay in touch with you. You're not on the chat mm-hmm. shows. You're not on like a soap opera or something. Mm-hmm. You've just vanished. Yeah, you're so, gone. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what's clearly happened to her, but she doesn't really quite realize it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, when, when, when was this film set and when did TV actually start? Because like there was stuff going on in the 50s. Yeah, but TV was a very new thing in the 50s because the first broadcast, the first live broadcast in England was the Queen's Coronation. That was in like 1952, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, TVs were, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people did have TVs in the year 1950, mm. but not, it wasn't, I don't think it was like widespread. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that's, like TV is never mentioned in this movie. Yeah. It's just not a thing. Yeah. But yeah, there's this great scene where he, he talks about how every night she takes him to watch an old movie and they'll sit together and it's always one of hers and they're always these silent movies. Mm. And, and again, more metanous. They're all actual footage of old Glo- Gloria Swanson movies, mm-hmm. obviously. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously she's very much living in the past and she's obsessed with her old fame and she doesn't realize. And then she also has occasional like bridge nights, card game nights with other old, mm. like what he calls them, the waxworks, the other old mm-hmm. faded stars. And again, more metanous that they're all famous black and white movie stars who had all like, oh, yeah. 
So like Buster Keaton's in there. He was a very famous kind oh, of. Uh, yeah, 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 he's there. It's it's great. They're all yeah. They're all these actors who were around that same time who probably weren't mm. famous anymore, and they just all came back and did this little weird cameo. It's nice. nice. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> mm. I was wondering when none of them had any lines. Yeah, they all just well, they, yeah, they all have like one line each top. So they're like pass, yeah. pass. You sunk my battleship. You know, yeah. not that, but yeah, close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Oh, I'd love it if they were just playing Battleship and like Connect Four. That would actually make it, make it even funnier. Yeah. Hungry, hungry hippos. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might ruin the noir feel a little bit, Harry. Was hungry, hungry hippos, but sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just over time, he kind of becomes more and more of like a kept man, like because she just because his mm. car gets towed away, mm-hmm. she keeps buying him like fancy things. She takes him out shopping and buys him mm-hmm. all these very fancy but very old-fashioned like clothes. Like she buys him mm-hmm. like a tailed tuxedo kind of thing yeah uh, and you can see how like she's dressing up her new toy exactly yeah and that's yeah. how she treats it and, and you can tell that he finds it really uncomfortable and mm-hmm. doesn't like it but also isn't really in a position to turn it down because mm-hmm. like there's a great scene when they are in the like the, the hollywood tailors and she's buying in this suit mm-hmm. and then he has, has to choose between these two materials and the salesperson's trying to push mm-hmm. the fancier one on him and he's like yeah. no, no that'll be fine and he's like well if the lady's paying take the take the expensive one yeah and he just looks so like angry and yeah. you know, embarrassed because he's just been so emasculated in this conversation because mm-hmm. he's he, he never ever has any money to spend on himself because she's not mm-hmm. actually paying him yet. So mm-hmm. he's just literally living off of like a parasite. Yep. Yeah, and this goes on for some time. And then it kind of peaks at this New Year's Eve party that she throws. Uh, and that's when she kind of makes a full pass at him. Because it's mm-hmm. like New Year's Eve, there's a party, he comes down in his tuxedo that she's bought for him. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole like literal orchestra playing mm. but there's no other guests and he's like wondering when all the other all the other guests are going to arrive and they never yep. do and it turns out she's orchestrated this whole party just for him and then she kind of <laughs> makes this whole pass at him and he kind of rejects her and then she runs off crying into the into her bedroom and at some point around this same time he finds out that there's no locks on any of the doors in the main house I think it's slightly before. It's now. beforehand, yeah. yeah, because he leaves straight after she makes a pass. Yeah, but yeah. Earlier on, when he—that's it, because he's been living in the outhouse, mm. and then it rains. I mean, it's only like just beforehand. Like, yeah. the foreshadowing is not very for. No, it's, uh... that's why this movie moves at a good clip. It's well paced. It yeah. doesn't like well, drag no, it out. Well, well it's no. I, that that was more of a complaint that I was making. That like okay. the foreshadowing is like. Hey, so she's kind of suicidal. Literally, the next scene attempts suicide. Sure, like it's that. That's not quite foreshadowing, but I don't, I, I don't mind it. I like it. The but, sub. Yeah, but anyway, so she, yeah, he finds out because he, he moves from the outhouse into the main house after the outhouse floods, mm-hmm. and then in the main house he realizes that none of the bedrooms or bathrooms have any locks, mm. and that's because uh, she's been known to have fits of depression and she's attempted suicide a few times. Yep. So that's why they have to make sure all the doors are unlocked at all times mm-hmm. so yeah he learns about that and then this disastrous new year's eve party happens mm-hmm. he rejects her she runs upstairs crying and then he go he storms out the house and ends up going to a friend's party yeah where he runs into the betty the lady who insulted his script earlier on mm-hmm. who it turns out is engaged to his friend arty mm. it wasn't really a character no not really i mean he's he's there just for betty to have some reason to to be, be around be, yeah be conflicted or something i, I, I don't know because like her relationship with him is not important no it's not and, and, it, it's, and it's almost as though it doesn't exist it really is because she's so flirty with joe at all times it's yeah. like well poor artie <laughs> i don't yeah. feel like he deserves this like yeah yeah and it, like artie literally says to joe a couple times like no no, no that's my girl yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. you you don't get my girl and that's just ignored pretty much yeah it's weird it is it, it's just it, it's a yeah it's a slightly strange way to just 
give them a reason to be in the same room together that mm. they have this mutual connection but yeah yeah he goes to this new year's eve party with like young people again he's finally around people his old age, his own age mm-hmm. uh, and he runs into betty and kind of confronts her a little bit just teasingly about how she was so rude about his script mm. and she says she felt really bad about it and she read some more of his scripts and she found one that she liked mm. or one that had like one bit that she liked because yeah. i think she, her line is like something like oh i found this one script oh you liked it oh no it was terrible but there's, there's one chapter that's good like <laughs> <laughs> it was really mm. really funny uh, and so they start like bouncing off each other and bouncing ideas about how they could maybe develop this part of the script that mm-hmm. he'd written into something that might actually be good. Yeah. And you can tell that like, he's really excited to actually be feeling something creative again. They get very mm-hmm. flirty. They're like mm-hmm. doing lots of old Hollywood quoting at each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, initially I was like, they're getting very inappropriate with each other. And like, oh no, they're just quoting stuff. They're doing a bit. Things yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Got it. But, it. but at the same, same time, if Marty just looked in th- through the open bathroom door, they'd be like, yeah. Are they snogging? <laughs> oh yeah, it's a very flirty bit. Like yeah. it's there's definitely yeah a, a sexual charge between them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he's feeling really good, and he he asks if he can stay with Artie for a few weeks while he gets back on his feet. Mm-hmm. Presumably at this point he's like, well, I'm not going back to that mansion again. Yeah. But then he calls the mansion to try and get his stuff sent over to Artie's, mm-hmm. and Max answers and reveals that Norma has attempted suicide. Yes. And so he is obviously immediately flooded with guilt and he races back to the house and feels really, really terrible about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you can see this, he, he talks to Norma and she's, again, she's she's like lying in the bed and she's like, I'll do it again, I'll do it again. Like mm-hmm. She's being very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And he makes the decision to stay with her. And mm-hmm. I think that's very heavily implied to me when they actually sleep together. Because yeah. he kind of yeah gets into bed with her and they kiss and then it fades to black so mm-hmm. and then it's like they're just in a relationship then so he's, he's left betty behind again and he's he's come back to norma it's completely changed character from here on as well well i think it's because the, the attempted suicide shocks him i think I've, i mm. think i can buy that like you don't you don't nobody wants to be responsible for somebody killing themselves so i no. think i think it comes out of this sense of responsibility and pity and then it just, he just kind of gets in over his head i think mm. it's not to make excuses for him but i think that's kind of what the mm-hmm. we're supposed to imply about his like his reason. I don't think he's ever supposed to really love her yeah. or anything like that. He's just like finds himself in this very bizarre situation and just kind of, you know, floats along on it for a while. Mm-hmm. So then he's, he's with Norma. He kind of cuts Betty out entirely, disappears again on her. Uh, and they have this whole relationship for a little while. And then she gets a call about the script that she's wanted to sell. Cause she, she sends the script over to Paramount to Mr. DeMille. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later, she gets a call from Paramount asking to speak to her and she assumes, Oh, we must've sold the script. Yeah. Yeah. And she's very, very excited. And he's like, how the hell did we sell that terrible script? Like yeah. he, he's really <laughs> confused as to what's going on, mm. but it turns out we find out later that they didn't sell the script. What actually happened is that the studio wants to rent her car. Cause she's got this very old classic Hollywood car. Mm, yeah. And the studio is making a film that's like a, a period piece and they want to sell it. Yeah, so they want the car, but she doesn't know that. And so she, after a few days of like playing hard to get, she goes down to the studio with with Joe and with Max. And they, um, yeah, and she goes back to the studio and she interrupts a film session with Mr. DeMille. Mm-hmm. And she goes in and the, and he's like, he's like, why, why is Norman Desmond here? And he's like shocked. But he also feels really bad because he's not spoken to him in like 20 years. And he feels mm-hmm, bad about yeah. how he's not hired her in 20 years. And he yeah. obviously feels a bit of responsibility for her. It's a really good scene when she goes back onto the sets. And like, because... Once she's there, she's a star again. And yeah. Like people who've worked with her 20 years ago who are still in the studio were like, oh my God, it's Norma Desmond, she's back. And mm. people are excited and then someone puts the lights onto her and it's mm-hmm. like, it's great. But it's not really real because they're not going to hire her for this script and they're not mm. going to buy a script. And so 
But I did really like the scene when Cecil B. DeMille, the director, goes up and he's talking. He's trying to like break it to her gently when he realizes why she's there. Like, cause he doesn't know about the car and she obviously assumes that he wants to buy the script to make the film. And then he kind of finds out, oh no, someone else has called her from the studio and is trying to borrow this car. Mm. And he, tr- he goes over and tries to let her down as gently as he possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets like overcome with him before he can tell her, she gets like really overcome with emotion, like mm. how she's so happy to be back on, on the set and stuff. And that, but then she immediately snaps into being like this high maintenance, like mm-hmm. nightmare. She's like, and of course I'll only work till four o'clock and never on a Thursday. Like, she's, yeah. <laughs> and you see the light in his eye go, oh, she's still a crazy person. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and it's like, ultimately rather than like let her down gently, he realizes that's never going to work. So he, yeah. he just kind of palms her off a little bit and like mm-hmm. lets her go. And it's like, um, yeah, don't call me. I'll call you that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, don't try and, and he tells someone, forget the car. We'll get a car from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't keep don't keep stringing her along basically. Yeah. And he kind of washes his hands of her a little bit, but yeah. she still thinks it's going to happen. So then she goes back to her mansion and then she goes into this crazy like beauty routine to mm-hmm. kind of get back into shape to get back ready for, for her star, you know, mm-hmm. thing to come back. Yeah. Which of course is never going to happen, but she doesn't know that. And while she's doing all that, meanwhile, Joe has kind of reconnected with Betty again. They've had some back and forth mm-hmm. and they're building on the script and they're now working together on the script. And he's actually started sneaking out at night to go and meet her mm, yeah. so they can work on this script together. Um, also very much flirting with each other. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something between the spark, but Norma becomes aware that he's sneaking out at night. She knows about it and she yeah. accuses him of having another woman and gets very dramatic about it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he ends up storming out again. And that same night, Norma goes snooping around his possessions and finds a copy of the script that they're working on. Yeah. And it says like a, a love story between, with Joe and Betty basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so she manages to, I think Betty calls the house maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not too sure. Yes. But uh, yeah, something like that. And then it's basically like a crank call. Reminded me a lot of Serial Mom. It was a bit Serial Mom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Betty and Joe are having this whole flirtation, but then I think, and then Betty, I think confesses that she loves him, that she's fallen in love with him. Mm-hmm. But he turns her down. He goes back to Norma. But then when he gets back into Norma's house, he hears her on the phone to Betty, telling Betty that Joe's like a kept man. And like, mm. she, she like just drops all this, these like innuendos, like, oh, you don't know where his money comes from, do you? Or why he, who he lives with. Just like mm-hmm. basically trying to put her off and tell her to leave him alone, basically. Yeah. But he overhears her and he immediately just packs up and leaves or tries to leave. Oh no, he calls Betty. He picks up the phone and tells Betty to come over then basically. Mm-hmm. And then Betty comes over in her car and she goes into the house and he tells her everything. He basically dumps her in the most brutal way possible. But in yeah. this way of like being like, look, this is what I'm doing. This is my life. I'm, I'm basically a rent boy for this older woman. Mm-hmm. And that's just who I am. You, you don't want me. You want to go and be with Artie. Go and live your life. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, basically gives her a big kiss off and she, she runs off crying. And then it's just him and Norma again. Yeah. But then it, rather than like reunite with Norma, he goes upstairs and just starts packing his bags. And he's like, I'm out, I'm leaving. I'm no, I never want to see you again. I'm going home to my hometown, whatever. And she obviously is incredibly upset about this. And But again, it's all like a scene. Like she's doing a scene of like, you know, I'll die without you all the stuff. And then she says, I've got a gun and I'll use it. I'll kill myself if, if mm-hmm. you don't stay with me. And then he's like, well, you'd be killing yourself for an empty house because nobody cares. So <laughs> harsh. It's really harsh. <laughs> but I think at this point he's like, look, Max the butler and him have been like molly coddling her mm-hmm. and hiding her from the truth for like decades. And it's only made her more crazy. And he's like, maybe she just needs to hear the hard, cold truth. Yeah. And that's the only thing. Yeah. So he's like, look, nobody cares. <laughs> nobody wants to be, be in a movie with you. Mr. DeMille only ever wanted the car. He didn't mm-hmm. want you. He didn't want the script. Mm-hmm. And then he found letters you're getting are being forged by Max. Yeah. And that yeah. 
that kind of causes her to have a complete like mental break. Mm. And she just kind of goes into a completely like delusional fantasy at this point where she's just like, mm-hmm. I'm a star. I'm the greatest star. And then he makes one last attempt to reason with. He's like, normally you're 50 and there's nothing wrong with being 50 except when you try to be 25. Yeah. She can't even hear it. She's just completely like gone at this point. Mm. And he's like, well, bye Norma. And he's, <laughs> he's just like picks up his bag, walks out the door mm-hmm. and she's like, no one ever leaves a star. And so she, she runs after him. <laughs> she runs after him. Her eyes are so wide. At They're great. Well. It's yeah. so much funnier. But she runs after him uh, down the stairs and he just doesn't even look back and he's walking across. And in this very melodramatic scene, just like out of a movie, mm-hmm. she shoots him three times mm-hmm. as he's walking away. And I love how in the first shot, he doesn't even react to. He just yeah. keeps walking. Yeah. And then the second one like knocks him out and then the third one, he falls into the pool mm. and he's dead. The next thing we know is the police. Oh, well, then we get some more narration, obviously. Yeah. And we get like, you know, so here we are back where we began, belonged. Yeah. <laughs> like, but what was going to happen to poor Norma? And then we cut to like the next day and, and like obviously all the police and all the press as well. It's this huge story, this faded star that's mm. killed someone. And suddenly like the, the house is filled with police and press and she's upstairs in this like complete fantasy world. Like she's mm. not even, like, doesn't even know who's around her anymore. She's just kind of staring into a mirror and she's just like yeah. frozen and the police are trying to interrogate her, but they're getting nothing out of her whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But then all the journalists turn up uh, from like all the news stations and stuff. And then someone mentions cameras and the police are like, get those cameras out of here. It's, this is a police, this is a crime scene. We don't need journalists. Mm-hmm. But then she's like, cameras? Cameras? <laughs> like it's, it's the only word she can hear. She hears cameras. Yeah. And in her head, she thinks Which that... really just reminded me of, uh, of just Jenna Maroney from 30 Rock going, camera. Oh yeah, sure. I'm sure there's <laughs> definite moments that 30 Rock has like pulled from this. Like, yeah. Everything's pulled from this, but yeah. yeah. So then they realize that she's completely fantasizing that the cameras are for this this Salome movie that she's been dreaming of making, that mm-hmm. Mr. DeMille's finally going to make this movie with her. And they decide that actually it'd be easier to play along with it just to get her to come down the stairs rather than having to drag her kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. So then Max is like, basically plays Mr. DeMille and he's like, yes, the cameras are ready for you, Norma. And he goes downstairs and gets everything ready and all the, all the big cameras are pointing and she comes down the stairs Mm -hmm. and we get the narration from Joe, the dead guy. He's just like, you know, life had finally taken pity on Norma. The cameras Mm -hmm. finally rolled and we get this great, easily the most iconic sequence in the film where she's like very slowly, like coming down the stairs, doing all her posing and, you know, Mm -hmm. and then she stops at the foot of the stairs and she gives this whole speech which is an, an amazing, amazing speech. Mm-hmm. And she literally breaks the fourth wall and looks yeah, at yeah. the camera. It's great. And then she does uh, easily the most quotable line of the whole film, the one mm-hmm. that everybody knows, but mm-hmm. everyone always says the wrong way around. It's, uh, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And then she uh, she walks very slowly into the camera and the film just fades. to Fades away. Fades away. Yeah. She walks into her delusion. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a really good end. It's an amazing end. It's one mm-hmm. of the best of all time, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I really, I really, I really enjoyed that end, especially as like, oh, that line. Okay, cool. Oh, good. So you did recognize these like iconic moments, even if you didn't know the whole film. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, Great. Very iconic lines that you just can't really get away from. Exactly. Exactly. Anything. Yeah. So there, it's a bit, yeah. it's, this film, it's not just like watching a film. It's like, it's a bit of history, this film. Mm. It's a genuinely a bit of cinema history. So, you know, what, what could be better than that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I can't go on with the scene. I'm too happy. Mr. DeMille, do you mind if I say a few words? Thank you. I just want to tell you all how happy I am to be back in the studio, making a picture again. You don't know how much I've missed all of you. And I promise you I'll never desert you again. Because after Salome, we'll make another picture and another picture. 
You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Okay, drinking games, let's go. Yeah. So, first up, drink for narration overly written. Overly written. But it's a film noir. That's It's the style. I mean, I, like... I only realised at the end that, like, oh, it's written by a writer. You know, yeah. as in, like, the, the narrator. Yeah, exactly. As, the, as the the, our main character is, is a, writer. a writer, so he would write stuff but like that, yeah. Some of it just really got to me. I, I wrote down some examples. Like, a very important chimp. The son of King Kong, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. <laughs> what yeah. are you on? But that's, I don't think the film is supposed to make you believe that he's a good writer. Mm. I think he's supposed to be like a bit of a hacky writer. And so even his narration after he dies is pretty hacky. They must have swam in it a thousand midnights ago. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> Yeah, some of it's quite cornball. Yeah. But... Sadly waving to a parade that had long since passed her by. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good. Yeah, sure, sure. I just like the vibe, I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, drink for narration. Drink for narration, sure. I mean, the whole movie is narrated, but drink for a very drink for a very narrated line. Mm. I, I see what you mean there. Yeah. Okay. Drink every time you see a picture of Norma Desmond in the background. Okay. I loved this. Like yeah, the yeah. entire her entire house is like a a monument to a her. Shrine. It's a shrine to yeah. her old glory days. And the, every scene there's like not just like one or two pictures, like a crazy amount of pictures, mm. like. An obscene amount of pictures, just like all just stuffed together. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, drink for a cigarette. Mm. Yeah, cigarette smoke. It's depth. I mean, it, again, it's a film noir. That's like mm. the classic. You know, everyone smokes. Everyone smokes all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yeah. Drink for a meta moment. Just uh, drink yeah. when you're like, ah, oh, that's uh, yeah, that that's referencing something. That is. Yeah, like, definitely. Uh, drink for an iconic line. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, when you recognize it from being misquoted from somewhere else. Or, yeah. yeah, very mm-hmm. much. Uh, drink every time she says Mr. DeMille. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. yeah. And drink for the word Paramount. Oh, yes, yes. I, I like it when she's when uh, she's trying to get into Paramount mm-hmm. and one of the door staff doesn't recognize her and like it's like, you can't come in without a pass. And he's like, well, there wouldn't be a Paramount. There wouldn't be a pass because there wouldn't be a Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, okay, drink every time she flails her hands into the air. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and drink every time her eyes go super wide. I just thought of that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and drink for a turban. Drink for a turban. Always for a turban. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay. Well, listeners, if you enjoyed this so far and you feel like you're going to enjoy the rest of it, then you should go to Patreon.com/slash Beyond the Box Set and give us all your money. All of your money. Because if you do, then you will give you a bonus show where we review recent releases. Mm-hmm. You get to hear our thoughts on the latest Black Widow or the latest old we're about to go watch yeah or, or whatever else is in cinema or late thing on netflix or other stuff also if, if you become patreon you get a 30 second advert slot right here on the main show where you can talk about your own business your own podcast whatever you want mm-hmm. plug whatever you want to chat about and also once a month we do a patreon episode where we pick a patreon at random and they choose the film for us to put sequels to I mean you can come and guest if you want to but you don't have to mm-hmm. all that at patreon.com slash beyond the box set indeed Bonjour tout le monde, I'm Finn, and every Tuesday I host a podcast called Passport People, in which I talk to people from around the world about the places that matter to them. What is so special about each location? What makes each place tick? Where are they headed? To join us on our round-the-world trip, talking to a diverse range of fascinating people from an incredible variety of professional and cultural backgrounds, search for Passport People in Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right then. So sequels. Sure. Um, I've got one. Great. I would hope so. Cool. That is the job that you have for this week. <laughs> Bring a sequel. I don't do it every week. No, no um, far from it. <laughs> I'd say like 50-50 at this point. Um, so this one's called Sunset Boulevard 2. Okay. The Comeback. The Comeback. Okay. Yeah. Not the return. Not the re- not. It's not a return. It's a comeback. Okay. She'd hate it. She'd yeah, hate exactly. it. Yeah. Only asking. I didn't know you were planning a comeback. I hate that word. It's a return. So anyway, John, you know, uh, whenever you go to prison, you kind of lose all track of time and of the outside world. I'm very familiar with that sensation, yes. Well, obviously Norman Desmond went to prison shortly after the end of the original. Mm -hmm. And um, we we now pick up at the end of her sentence, whatever whatever long that is, um, and she is released. She expects Max, her her butler or ex-husband or something. Oh, yes, we forgot to mention Max is both her butler and her ex-husband and her former director. He's wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, I I loved the twist music when that was revealed. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) You see, I was her first husband. But yeah, she expects Max to to come pick her up, her, her faithful butler, but he's not. He's not there. So she speaks to the guard and he informs her that Max unfortunately passed away some time ago. Oh no. That there is nobody to pick her up. The guard goes into into his office and calls for a taxi. Okay. When the car pulls up, she's very surprised that the car is in colour. By the way, did I mention this is black and white? Oh, wow. So she's, she's gone from a black and white world to a colour. Because while she's been in prison, colour came in. Mm. But we're in like a meta movie. So she's still in black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So she's starting to notice some things mm-hmm. like the car. It's in colour. And it's also quite bizarre because it doesn't look like any motor car that she's seen uh, before. It's like a little bit Pleasantville. Sort of, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. I can get on board with that. Yeah. When she realises that nobody is going to open the door for her, she opens it herself and gets in. Mm-hmm. She's surprised by there being an Indian driver because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there weren't many in this. Oh, oh okay. So is Norma Desmond going to get a little bit racist? And, uh, so she speaks very loudly and slowly um, when she tells him uh, where she'd like to go. Oh, no. Eventually, she asks him if he has any cigarettes and he replies, sorry, no smoking which she puts down to poor English. Mm-hmm. And so she asks him to pull over at a drugstore and go and buy some cigarettes. He explains, sorry, ma'am, I just drive the taxi. I don't run errands, but I'll happily stop for you to go in. I'll keep the meter running. So he stops at the next pharmacy and she goes in. She marches up to the counter and asks to buy some cigarettes. She is told that she needs to take a ticket and wait her turn. She gets angry and is told the same thing again. So she takes the ticket and waits for her number to be called. Pharmacist asks her what her prescription is, expecting to give her some medicine or something, mm-hmm. and she asks for cigarettes. The pharmacist says that they don't sell cigarettes; they're actually really unhealthy, <laughs> um, but they do sell cigarette patches. So, not really knowing, she buys some of them. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to like smash cut to her like covered in them all? Like, yeah, I have no yeah, idea what to, no idea, like sticking them all over. There's no, no idea what to do. Like, <laughs> trying of, to wear it as like a bindi or something. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she goes back to the taxi and carries on home to her mansion. When they get there, the taxi driver says, that'll be 56 bucks. And she's like, excuse me. And so she offers $60 in cash from her purse, but that's pretty much all she's got. So she's a bit sure. concerned mm-hmm. and he explains it's card only, but that's completely lost on her. So with a grumble, he just takes the cash. Sure. If you haven't clocked, by the way, we're basically in the present day. Sure. Yeah. 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 She's lived a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an unknown amount of time she, she's yeah. been in prison. Okay. We're seeing it from her point of view. So like she has no idea how long it's been. Okay. Right. And neither do we, I guess. Yeah, no, we're not explicitly told, but uh, it's it's now. Okay. Um, she walks up to the front door of her of her mansion, noting that the garden looks remarkably well kept, given that she's been away and Max obviously hasn't been there. Yeah. The front door is locked, 
and uh, she hears strange music coming from an upstairs window, so she rings the bell of her own house. The music stops, and she hears someone coming down the stairs. The door opens, standing there is a young woman with a massive grin on her face, holding what looks like a bright pink sparkling cigarette case in front of her. Norma asks, Who are you, and what are you doing in my house? And this woman replies, Hi, Granny Desmond. I'm... I've not decided who this person is, but I was basically thinking to cast uh, a modern influencer. What? An influencer? Yeah. I just want me to know who an influencer is, Harry. I'm 35 years old. (laughs) What what do you mean? Like a TikTok person? Yeah, yeah, somebody. I don't know. Okay. A Kardashian then? I don't know. A a, a live streamer or something like that. Okay, sure. But, okay, listeners, just think think of an influencer or just like your favorite makeup channel on YouTube and just put that person in this. Okay. Um, that's who I'm casting. Okay, fine. <laughs> Great. No, I don't know who I don't know any who inf- any influencers <clears throat> are. I don't follow like those things. Okay. Um, no idea if she is or not. But let's just, just for your mind's sake, let's go Zendaya. Okay, I know I who think, Zendaya is. Yeah, that's that's, fine, that's, yeah. That's, that's the kind of person I'm going. going okay, for. like a young millennial. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hi, Granny Desmond. I'm Zendaya or whatever. Okay. Uh, actually, that works pretty well. Actually. Okay. Um, why are you in my house? And why are you call me Granny? And what is that in your hand? You keep pointing at me. Well, when you went back to prison in 1950, the house started falling to ruin. The last thing that Max did before he passed away was to track down any relative who could take your house on, and he found me. I'm your closest relative. I'm your granny's, cousin's, great-great-grandson's, auntie's twin. Everyone else is dead. <laughs> when they said I could live in the house, I thought, that's awesome, because I really needed somewhere to use for my channel. You know, somewhere with that super retro feel, you know? Anyway, this house was perfect. Oh, and this? Oh, you've probably uh, missed a few things while you've been away. This is my phone, and right now we're live to 50 million people, so say hi. Would you like a latte? Low-fat, vegan, organic, of course. So, obviously, Norma is completely baffled by all this. Sure. But, uh... I, like, I don't understand what you just said, and I yeah. won't respond to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, Zendaya stands next to Norma and holds the phone up in the air, pointing down at them while she purses her lips into a selfie pose. Okay. Then does some sort of sign-off and ends the stream. Mm-hmm. And hard cut to... Her, well, Basically, I uh, I ran out of time here, so smash cut to some time later. And Norma has she's got her head around all of this. Okay, so she so what you, your idea is that Norman Desmond finds fame again as an influencer. Yeah, I thought of, I thought of this as the film ended when Norma is just addicted to cameras. Sure, and yeah. I'm like ah, okay, yeah, I've got something here. No, well, that's it. In 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 present day, if someone like her, I mean, if she didn't kill anyone, yeah, maybe even if she did, yeah, she she could find fame on reality television like that's how a lot of faded stars stay in the spotlight or just online or online yeah, yeah just all kinds of things so yeah so so what, yeah cut to some time later and norma desmond now has her own streaming channel on she's on tiktok on, yeah. yeah yeah whatever and just make it videos on youtube she'll actually just she's also just recently launched a silent film acting class on skillshare mm-hmm. and occasionally promotes vpns for 30 seconds whatever they are mm-hmm. um but we're seeing like we're physically seeing all this content on multiple phones all at once just as the film is filmed and as the camera zoomed down it's just more and more screens of norma desmond doing things online you know doing dabs on tiktok (laughs) appearing on cameo boxing logan paul on youtube that sort of thing more and more things until all these screens become a blur that fades to gray the focus shifts and transitions back to the 1950s feel and we see her in a prison cell pretending to do all these things erratically by herself as she goes more and more insane Oh my, what a sad ending. One of the guards says, how long has she been locked away? Looks like she's going mental. Another guard replies, not long, like 45 minutes, maybe an hour. She's gone. Oh, okay. So what we're saying is that she has like gone, for, What? So is it the present day or is it? 
that's just her imagination. So it's it's the 1950s, and she just imagined all that. So she's had a vision of the future there, where it's like basically, yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. So she's like clairvoyance in some ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and for a finish my sequel, did I mention that I casted her as Catherine O'Hara? Okay. I thought that'd be a good shout. That improves it tenfold. Yeah, my, automatically. My, yeah, yeah. My, my my first idea was like, oh, well, I guess that Meryl Streep can pretty much do anything. But then I was like, nah, that's boring. Meryl is everything. Like, mm. that's just you know, Catherine O'Hara just actually really fits in this role. I can I can see that. I think I think she, I reckon she, she probably takes a lot of inspiration from. Oh, hundred percent. This def- and other roles gone by. There's definitely a lot of um, Gloria Swanson in mm. uh, yeah in Moira Rose by yeah. far easily. Yes. Yeah, it's a good so. shout. Yeah. So yeah, that's that. Uh, do you want to do yours then? Sure, yeah. Well, I am a little bit offended now because my sequel actually does feature Meryl Streep, so I guess I'm just a basic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it. Sure, but, uh... yeah. Well, okay. So my one, it the title draws on another classic black and white movie of the old age. It's one that you have seen because mm-hmm. uh, I've called this sequel Whatever Happened to Norma Desmond? Ah, okay. As in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Remember that one yep. with the crazy sisters? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of an amalgamation. When are you of... going to pick that, by the way? Where happens to Jane? Yeah. Well, now that now that we've broken the black and white seal, maybe I'll bring it up soon. Yeah. I've been waiting for you to. Pick... I've seen that you've got a book in your toilet about that or something. Oh yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay, we can do more black and white stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to bring some more in now that I've <laughs> uh, you know broken the seal a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Get ready. We do so much. We could, so much I could bring in now. Mm. I'll pace it out. It's okay. Okay. Anyway, this sequel. Mm. So, whatever happened to Norma Desmond? Yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking of it as kind of an amalgamation of a sequel to Sunset Boulevard, and also bring in a bit of whatever happened to Baby Jane, but also give it its own little twist as well, which mm-hmm. we'll see. So, it is set 15 years after the original film. So mm-hmm. I guess that would bring us to about the 19. 19- 70s although time isn't hugely important (laughs) it's not particularly important in this film as it is in the original Mm. Uh, but what i'm thinking is that norma desmond like most celebrities she didn't just go to jail Mm -hmm. because celebrities don't go to jail when they do crimes Mm. by and large i'm thinking she got off the murder by reason of insanity she was judged to be insane which fair enough she was yeah so rather than doing hard time she was committed and she spent 15 years or so again Mm. it doesn't matter exactly how long but she spent a fair amount of time in a mental health facility, having a quite extensive, a radical post-celebrity therapy. Right, yeah. So she's been having, this. it's a radical new therapy for bewildered former stars. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she's been doing a lot of therapy to kind of recover. And she's been allowed, she's been released. She's gone, been allowed to move back into her mansion, mm-hmm. but on a certain set of very strict conditions. No signing autographs at right. all. No watching her old movies, completely forbidden, verboten. Ooh, okay. And absolutely no turbans. <laughs> so those are her rules. <laughs> Why? Because they're just too glamorous. You know, she's, she's post-celebrity now. So, okay. And she's been doing a lot of work and she's really been trying mm. to come to terms with the fact that she's not famous anymore yeah. and just like, yeah, recover. And so this is Norma Desmond, the recovery. She, she comes out, but also she can't just come out and just live on her own anymore. Mm. And sadly, Max has long since passed. Mm-hmm. So... Instead, she is only released if... Ah, you use that little shortcut as well, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you classic, did that as well. Yeah. Classic, I don't know what to do with this guy. Oh, no, he's just, let's he just kill him. I mean, yeah. it's fair. He's pretty aged, so it's not like it's yeah. unusual. But yeah, she's released, but she only she, she can only be released if she's released into the custody of a beloved, trusted relative. Mm-hmm. So she's actually released into the custody of her long-estranged sister, Mary Desmond. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Mary Desmond, yeah 
it turns out we find out maybe some from, from some flashbacks and this is what brings in a bit of the baby jane mm. is that norma was always raised into a very show business family like her mother always pushed her towards the spotlight which is why mm. she's this crazed celebrity now yeah but she did have a sister uh, but she was the always she was always the prettier more vivacious more like who's who's the sister well this is the thing the sister is played by meryl streep because what i was thinking mm. Obviously, Gloria. Wait, wait, so it was is Norma played by Meryl Streep as well? No, no, no. Okay, so this is the thing, yeah. Because obviously, Gloria Swanson is dead, so yeah. she can't reprise her role. Sadly, yeah. So what I was thinking would be fun would be that Norma now could be played by Glenn Close. Okay. Because Glenn Close actually plays Norma Desmond on in the musical version. There's a that, there's actually uh, a really right. famous Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, mm. and Glenn Close played Norma Desmond in that musical, mm-hmm. and she's been trying this is to, back in the fifties as well. No, it was not, Harry. Okay. This was more like the 80s and 90s. I can't remember exactly when. But Glenn Close has been Glenn trying... Glenn Close is old, that's the joke. Yes, she is. Yeah. She is. But also Glenn Close has been trying to get a movie version of the musical version of this film okay. made... I know it's complex. Made for years and years and years. And it I keeps mean, falling to be, honest, to be honest, I'm surprised, why, surprised it hasn't. Yeah. Well, it was going to happen before coronavirus. Because everyone's like, that's the one that will finally get Glenn the Oscar. Like, it's so... But she just, <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for her to not win that one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's, it's just the, the cruelty continues because every time they try and get it, it, it was about, it was just about Greenlit because mm. after the wife and everything, it was like, oh, it's her time. And that film got like impulsive production mm. and then coronavirus shut it down. Mm-hmm. Like she just can't catch a break. In Glenn, so yeah, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I hope it does. You know, whether she wins an Oscar or not, I'll be interested to see it. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought it'd be really kind of meta because this film's very meta as well mm. to have Glenn Close playing the role of Norma Desmond. And also thought, why not pair up Glenn and Meryl, the two Titans, you know, mm-hmm. as these warring sisters. I thought that'd be actually a really good. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to see that on-screen dynamic. Yeah. So yeah, as I say, Norma obviously is the is the was always the star, the big star of the two, and Mary, her sister, was a lot more quiet and you know, a bit more dowdy and just mm-hmm. more bookish, and she was always just basically ignored by her parents because they all thought Norma was the star. Right. Okay. And so you've really switched this around, haven't you? Very much so, yeah. yeah. Well, because Meryl's the lesser st- well, the yeah, lesser. Yeah. St- well, I also think Meryl can play like, you know, regular folk, whereas Glenn is a bit more theatrical, you know. So Yeah. 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 But yeah, I'm thinking that the reason Mary is never mentioned in Sunset Boulevard is that the two sisters mm. very much lost touch when Norma became a huge star. And even more so when Norma stopped being a huge star. Because mm-hmm. she always thought that her sister was jealous of her. Yeah. And maybe she was a little bit, but they had very different lives. And and I'm thinking that Mary ended up working in the film industry as well but behind the scenes, mm-hmm. never as a star. Instead, she worked as like a costume designer and she settled down and had a family and just lived a very normal, quiet life while her sister became this crazy celebrity. Mm-hmm. But now obviously her sister has, even though they, they don't get on and they've not spoken in years, you know, she still feels a certain responsibility to her sister. And so she agrees to, you know, to take custody of her and to sign the release to get, so that Norma can be released into the world. Yeah. And then the two of them move into Norma's old mansion. Mm-hmm. And because that's the only place Norma feels comfortable. She's only the place she's called home for like her entire mm-hmm. adult life. So the two of them moved together into the even more dilapidated than it was before mansion. Mm, yeah. So I'm, again, I think that could be like a real baby Jane-ish kind of thing. Cause although like to the power of 10, cause it's this mansion that's like, it's these two old sisters in this far too big mansion. That's just falling down around them. Yeah. Mary's trying to keep it together. And Norma's trying to like stay on the straight and narrow and not fall back into her old habits and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they move back in together and they get to work fixing up the house, which, as I say, is now very much dilapidated. And Mary's trying to encourage Norma to actually sell up and move somewhere a bit more manageable because mm. she's, like, she's like, this mansion is far too big for the two of us and it's just too full with all memories for you. And, you know, wouldn't you rather just live somewhere nice and cozy, you know, like a, a bungalow somewhere? Mm-hmm. But Norma's very much against it. She doesn't want to move. It's like, this is my womb. This is my only home. You know, I'll never sell it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, 
It's a bit of a sticking point between the two of them. Causes a bit of friction. Mm -hmm. But she is really trying, despite all that. Norma is really trying to, as I say, to stick to her therapy and take every day as it comes. Mm. And aside from Mary, the only person she sees, the only person she really trusts is her therapist. She's been assigned a therapist who she sees on a regular basis Mm -hmm. named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is going to be played by Olivia Coleman. Mm. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Again, bring in the the woman who beat Glenn to the Oscars. So you just bring, again, all (laughs) these kinds of meta things are coming in. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a way to get some narration like because also the thought the original movie is obviously all narrated by uh, william holden's character joe yeah and it kind of means that we only really get his perspective we only see norma through his eyes yeah so i thought it'd be good to actually get give norma her own voice in a sequel so now we get her voiceover because the therapy a through the therapist because that's an excuse for someone to just talk and do mm-hmm. exposition so we get some i think we could have some scenes of her talking about her recovery with the therapist and set all that up mm-hmm. that can be how she talks about the sister and the, the relationship and all that kind of stuff but also the therapist is going to encourage her to keep a diary to kind of help her to keep track of her feelings and, yeah. you know, her recovery. So that diary can then be the narration of the film. And it can be very, like, in Norma's voice. So, you know, even though she's trying to recover, you know, you said the original film, it kind of turned you off a little bit how the voiceover narration was very, like, mm. cliched. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be that to the power of 10 because it's this, you know, faded, glamorous star trying to, trying to write like a normal person. But she's not mm. a normal person. She's never been a normal person. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she tries, but she's just not. Yeah, so that yeah. could be... You know, a bit of dry humor in it as well. Um, and I think, yeah, as I say, it's going to kind of play, the first half of the film is going to play along the lines of like a bit of a psychological thriller as Norma keeps her diary and tries to not fall back into her old ways, but she doesn't quite trust her sister. She's not sure if the sister's actually on her side or if she's just trying to get into her money or whatever, you know, because they've mm-hmm. got this very bitter relationship. Uh, and as time goes on, Norma is going to start to experience some very strange events in the house that unsettle her. Mm-hmm. So for example, she'll walk into a room and she'll find that one of her old movies is showing on the big TV screen, even though all the film is supposed to have been thrown out, out thrown out before right, she moved yeah. in. And she doesn't know who's doing it. Obviously, she, she thinks it must be her sister playing a prank. And yeah. it freaks her out because it's triggering her all those old memories of when she was a star, mm-hmm. you know, which she's trying to not think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, she's going to find letters, like, addressed to her. And they're going to be written in from Max and from Joe and from Mr. Uh, DeMille. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Mr. Yeah. DeMille writing saying, we're going to make that picture, you know, mm-hmm. like all this stuff that she really wanted to hear back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she knows they're all frauds, but she and she, she accuses the sister. The sister denies all knowledge. She thinks, she says, you must be doing it yourself. You must be delusional. Mm. And it's this kind of, well, who's right and who's wrong? This very, uh, you know, like I say, a psychological thriller in that sense. Yeah. And I think at the worst moment, she's going to actually go into her bedroom and find Joe's old hat sitting on her pillow. Oh, okay. He always had the hat. Yeah. So, you know, and that's going to really bring her right back to the worst moment when she actually killed a man, obviously. Mm -hmm. So all this is very upsetting to her and it's causing her to kind of break down and doubt her own sanity a lot. Uh, And she starts to think that she's going mad again. Uh, And the only person, as I say, the only person she feels she can trust is her therapist who encourages her to be, you know, to try and be more independent and less reliant on Mary. Maybe that'll help. So... She's like, well, try and do some things for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so then Norma tries to, you know, strike out on her own a little bit. But that backfires as well, because as I say, she's far too long of a like celebrity. Like she's never, ever done anything for herself for her entire life. Mm-hmm. So I think there could be like a scene where she does something as simple as like go to the mall to get some groceries and she just completely can't do it. Mm. You know, it'd be like the episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Byrne loses all his money. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he goes to he goes to the supermarket and just ends up getting sent to a mental institution because he's like, ketchup, ketchup, ketchup. ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> she could just be going in and being really grand and expecting expecting people to fetch things for her and like yeah. not knowing what a trolley is or, yeah, you know, yeah. or what money is. Oh, you know, well, she knows what money is. Obviously, she's rich, but not knowing how to spend it. <laughs> Maybe she tries to pay like $1,000 for a tin of 
baked beans or something. Yeah, that yeah. class. Yeah, just, that kind of thing. Doesn't just, know what, just you know, completely clueless. Yeah. Yeah. And even worse, she actually, as well as getting really confused and bewildered, she's also recognized by some paparazzi mm-hmm. because obviously she is famous again now because she's the crazy former star who killed a man. So now yeah, that yeah. the word's out that she's on the streets again. Yeah. And then she's seen wandering around a supermarket that attracts some attention. Mm. So then like some cameramen start taking pictures of her, which she knows is bad for her. So mm-hmm. that's just, it's all sending her into like this complete spiral basically. Yeah. So she comes home in a state of complete panic and distress, runs upstairs to her room where she's greeted with yet another shock because now someone's left another horrible thing on the pillow. Mm-hmm. I feel like all these things are going to be left on a pillow. Mm. This time it's a loaded gun. Ooh, so this okay. is like, you know, it's, it's reached the peak. Yeah. And so she confronts Mary who mm-hmm. in, completely denies all knowledge once again. And, and I think like Norma's freaking out. She's like waving the gun at Mary's face. She's like, mm-hmm. you gave this to me, all this stuff. And Mary's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This has nothing to do with me. Please put the gun down. Yeah. It's confrontation between the two sisters and they get into a whole struggle with it with it, like fighting for the gun and Norma almost pulls the trigger, almost shoots Mary, almost shoots Meryl. Mm-hmm. But at the last minute, she doesn't do it. She doesn't shoot her sister. She just collapses into sobs and she drops the gun. Mm. And she's just kind of sat there rocking back and forth. She doesn't know what to believe anymore. She's completely broken down. And uh, Mary then says, I think we need to call the doctor. Mm. And at that moment, the doorbell rings and Mary goes downstairs, leaving uh, Norma alone. Mm-hmm. And she comes back up with the therapist, Elizabeth. Right, yeah. And she tells her like what's been going on. She's, she, she says to Norma, I called Elizabeth because then, you know, I could sense that something was wrong when you came in so upset and you know, mm-hmm. maybe you need to talk to her and she'll calm you down. Mm-hmm. So now it's the three of them are in the room and uh, yeah. And then Elizabeth, the therapist, she steps up, picks the gun up off the floor and then she shoots Mary. She turns around and shoots Mary. Oh, right. Yeah. It's a double fake out. You see yeah, the therapist yeah. was the bad guy all along. Okay. And, and, and Norma's like, she screams. She's like, what, what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why? And uh, Elizabeth says very calmly, she's, she starts wiping down the gun. She's wiping it down with like a, to clean all the fingerprints mm. off. And uh, she says, you don't remember me, do you? Well, why would you? We only met briefly. And I wasn't going by the name Dr. Elizabeth Green back then. <laughs> no, no. In those days, people used to call me Betty Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> so she is Joe's, you know, the boring mm. love yeah, interest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the big reveal is that Betty after she lost her beloved Joe said Norma, not once, but twice. Yep. First he dumped her, mm-hmm. then she killed him. Mm-hmm. She went mad for revenge. She vowed revenge and went a bit mad herself, mm. especially when Norma was found not guilty because basically she was only found not guilty because she was famous. So that made Betty even more angry. Mm-hmm. So she just spent the next 25, 15 years, whatever, fixated on getting revenge on Norma and making sure Norma goes back behind bars as soon as possible. Right, yeah. So she did end up marrying Artie Green, which is why she's now Dr. Green. Mm-hmm. She left the movie business and retrained as a therapist, mm-hmm. a specialist in post-celebrity therapy. Okay, it's, it's a bit a of a long str- game. It's a, she's playing. A, <laughs> she's walking a long road. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's very filmic in that way. But nobody ever knew because she wasn't wasn't famous. Nobody actually ever connected her with Joe or with the case. Yeah, and you know, even Norma only briefly actually saw her, so she never really. You know, she was just a a problem to get rid of. She never mm-hmm. really thought of her as a human being, so yeah. she forgot kind of all about her. Uh, yeah, so she was able to manipulate the situation through the power of cinema so that she would get assigned to Norma when Norma was released. Mm-hmm. And the plan, of course, was to ensure that Norma was back behind bars where she belonged at the earliest opportunity. Mm. So I feel like she goes in this whole um, exposition or, you know, evil exposition dialogue kind of thing, yeah. like explain, explaining her evil plan. And then she, she she kicks the gun back over to Norma and she's like, well, now you're going to go behind back back to jail where you belong because mm. you killed your sister and I framed you and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And then she goes to call the, she turns her back to kind of call the police. Mm-hmm. And then 
Norma's, but Norma's still completely like catatonic with horror at what's happened. Yeah. But then I feel like Mary pulls up, you know, she's still alive. So uh, okay, Meryl yeah. Yeah. summons the last bit of strength, grabs the gun, shoots the therapist. Nice. Yeah. I kind of ran out of ways to end this. So I'm just kind of like, no, oh, no, that totally works. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, so she saves her sister's life. Mm-hmm. And then they call the police and explain who the real villain was. Mm-hmm. And the two sisters reunite. And it turns out that they weren't. Oh, so Mary, Mary survives. Mary survives. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Maybe it ends with her being wheeled out, you know, on a stretcher. She's yeah, been, yeah. She's been shot, but only superficially. Yeah. And then her, but her and Norma are reconciled again, and uh, mm. on the road to recovery. Nice. So yeah, that was the very melodramatic. Uh, <laughs> whatever happened to Norma Desmond? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's a good title as well, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, I it actually, just... well, it actually fits with the plot. Well, exactly. Not, yeah. Not I just merging it's... two films, it fits yeah. with the plot. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. so. Um, yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. All right, should we get to listen submissions? Yeah, let's go for it. I had a few this week. So over on Facebook, we had Duncan Flaster said, Sunset to Lavard, naturally, the ghost of Joe Gillis. Nice. So I guess that, that could be another psychological thriller where the ghost of Joe haunts Norma, maybe while she's mm. in an asylum or something, she keeps seeing his ghost. Yeah. That could be quite interesting. Yeah, yeah totally. Justine Weisinger said, Norma Desmond is a vampire and has to find modern-day actors worthy of reviving the art of silent film. Yeah. I like that, because Norma kind of could be a vampire. She's never seen in daylight. Well, I guess she does go to the <laughs> she does go to the, the film yeah, lot, I guess. But, yeah. but she's mostly in this, like, you know, very dark, gothic house. Mm-hmm. So I like that idea of her actually being a, an undead silent movie star. Yeah. She's trying to, like, revive the silent movie industry, maybe just in her own crazy world, by, like, luring people in and then maybe turning them into vampires or just forcing them to make silent movies. I don't know. Could be a whole thing. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it could work, definitely. Yeah. Dennis Fanning said, Dawn of Sunset Boulevard. Norma invents time travel. Stretch, but sure. Great. To warn silent movie stars of the changes that are about to come. But instead, she travels to the prehistoric era. Thrill as Norma Desmond personally shoves each eon-old monster into the La Brea tar pits. So that's like Norma Desmond versus, I don't know, King Kong. Or, okay. Yeah. You know, T-Rex. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Dracula. Dracula. Well, I think it's more like prehistoric, but sure. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. Something. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, Scott Hillman said, Norma Desmond, it turns out, has a daughter that she abandoned before she hit the big time. Mm-hmm. Kind of fits with mine with the estranged sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. She abandoned a daughter very young as she thought it might hurt her career. But now she's been locked up in an insane asylum and her daughter actually takes her into custody and looks after us. So this is very similar to mine. I promise yeah. I didn't steal this. Um, <laughs> So after her daughter reconnects with her and she gets out of the insane asylum, uh, she attempts to kind of rebuild the relationship. But then her daughter actually is offered a role on a TV on a TV show. Mm. Maybe her daughter's also been a struggling actress. Yeah. And then she has to deal with the fact that she's not the not only is she not famous anymore. Now her estranged daughter is the famous one. Mm-hmm. So that could All be right, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. That could be something. Yeah. Amanda uh, Perotti Owens said, "Sunset Boulevard Two: The Trial of Norma Desmond." You know, the trial yeah. of Norma Desmond, yeah. That works. Yeah. Uh, Philip Brown said, Max, a butler's tale. It's a giant roller coaster of a movie over three sizzling acts, each a searing indictment of domestic servitude in the early 50s with some hot waxworks thrown in. Mm. So I guess maybe that's the one where instead of it being Norma's voiceover or Joe's voiceover, it's the butler's voiceover. So. Right, yeah. You could yeah. actually do this film like three versions of the same film. Like oh, one is you could, yeah. his perspective, one is her perspective, and one is the butler's perspective. That could be really interesting. Mm. It'd be very long, but like, I could see that. And finally, we got one on Twitter um, from Furious Cinema, at Furious Cinema, saying, in Sunset Boulevard 2, The Grand Delusion, Norma Desmond is in a mental hospital, check. In her warped mind, she's still the biggest star in the world. 
her fellow patients are all different stars of the past, right. but only in her mind. Right, yeah, So yeah. they're all like normal mental patients, but in her mind, they're all, yeah, her co-stars from her mm. glory days. She see, That's how she sees them. So it's a kind of a combination of uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and... Uh, yeah, and Sunset Boulevard and all those old films. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I think that's actually a very good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, some good ideas this week. Thank you very much, all of our listeners, for submitting those. See what happens when you select a genuinely good film. It really inspires people. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for those sequel ideas. We ask for your listener submissions every week, a few days before we record, by putting posts out on Facebook and Twitter, where you can post your ideas. So make sure you like and follow our pages if you don't want to miss out. To listen to more episodes of Beyond the Box Set, you can subscribe and browse our back catalogue on any podcasting platform, including Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and many others, in all of which you can also leave us a review if you so wish. It really does help us out. You can also find us on Patreon, where you can support us for as much or as little as you think we're worth to access all the bonus features we discussed earlier. You can find the links in the description below or at beyondtheboxset.com. Yeah. And next week, Harry, I'm throwing it back to you. Yeah. So I've got two choices for you. Okay, interesting. Um... I've got one that is a mid-noughties uh, action movie. Okay. Um, which might be a good time mm-hmm. or, or might just have been good when it was in the mid-noughties. Sure, okay. Don't know. Um, or I've got another film, which I think was around 2011 or something, which was nominated for Best Picture um, and might be uh, might be on theme with a kind of old film thing that we're doing. Is it The Artist? No. Okay, good, because that film is boring. Um, <laughs> since it's not The Artist, I'll go with the, the, the Best Picture nominee. Okay. Well, next week we're going to do Hugo. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've seen it. No, I, I've seen it a long time ago, and I, I remember some bits of it, but not all. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that's going to be a good time. I'm pretty sure it'll be a good film. It's just whether it's good sequel material or not. Yeah, okay. Um, what was your uh, alternate? Is it one of the ones you were going to do with Sam? Uh, no, no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save, save that. Save that for another time. Okay, yeah. cool. So yeah, Hugo, looking forward to it. Yeah, see you next Should week. Be a good time. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yep, join see us next time. week for Hugo. Bye. Bye. leaves the star. That's what makes one.